Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. Jesus was a pure example of acting in love at all times. The Apostle Paul knew this and noticed a detour in this regard from the church in Corinth. The people were using their gifts for self-glory. In our time, do we do the same thing? What does true servanthood actually look like? Our intentions matter as we seek to minister to and love those around us. This week's message of the week comes from Pastor Bryce Blank, who shares a fishing story from his childhood and reminds us, as 1 Corinthians 13 does, that God's love is overwhelming and there's plenty for all people. Here is the First Church message of the week. So uh, I got to pick our scripture for this week and for next week, because you get the pleasure of hearing me two weeks in a row. And uh, before I read our scripture, I'd like to say why I picked it. And mainly it is because uh, I'm new to, to you guys and to this community. And so I wanted to pick two of my favorite Bible verses um, to share a little bit of why they're important to me um, and why they've been important for my journey in life and ministry up until meeting all of you. So today we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I ha- and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So one of my first memories of going fishing is at Pactola Lake, which is a lake about 15 minutes from where I grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota. You see a picture on the screen in front of you. This is uh, not a picture of us fishing at Pactola Lake, but rather Richmond Lake in uh, Aberdeen, South Dakota with my grandpa. But I didn't have a picture of this particular occasion that I'm going to talk about at Pactola. So this will give you the general idea. We are really tiny and uh, can barely get our fishing poles over the side of the boat. So... One of my first times fishing at Pactola Lake. Generally, when we go to Pactola, it's a really fun time. We go boating, we go swimming, we get to watch people do cliff jumping, we have a lot of snacks, just hang out, listen to music. It's great. But on this occasion, the first time I learned how to fish with my brothers, it was not as a relaxing of a time for some of us. And... So we're learning how to fish and we have these little fishing poles and they're not like a normal fishing pole. Like the ones you get for kids, you know, they just have a little push button. It makes it very simple, very easy. You push the button and you, and you cast it out and then you reel it in. Very simple. And I know that we got a tutorial from my dad on how to do this, but that's not really what I remember on that day. What I remember is how badly the fishing experience went, particularly for me and for my twin brother, Tanner. 
So we're both standing in the boat. You know, I'm on one side with my fishing rod going away and he's on the other side of the boat with his fishing rod. And my poor dad is in the middle of us and he has the task of getting our fishing poles and our lines ready, you know, putting the hook on there. It's one of those three pronged little hooks and making sure our lines are clear, making sure they're not all tangled up because we're pulling seaweed from the lake and, you know, it's just too gross to touch. So he's got to do the duty of pulling those off, right? So he's in the middle of us. We're on either side of him. And it was probably the second or third cast out. And I didn't see where my line hit the water. Normally, there's a little splash that indicates, okay, the hook made it to the water. Now I'm going to start reeling in. But I didn't see that. And so, of course, being a, you know a excited boy fishing for the first time, I don't just reel it in like you know methodically. I just reel it in as fast as I possibly can because I'm so excited. And about this time, I start to hear some yelling, and I'm like, and I start to feel a little bit of a tug on the line. It's like, all right, I think I got something. So I reel it even faster and I'm screaming with excitement too. But at the same time, on the other side of the boat, my brother Tanner had a similar experience. He cast it out. He didn't see where the line ended up in the water. So he's fiercely uh, reeling his in. And of course, the excitement of my dad screaming and me screaming, he starts screaming and he's really excited too. And for both of us, you know, we're in our own little world. Everything else doesn't exist besides what is about to come out of that water as, the, as it gets harder and harder to reel in, the tug gets harder and harder, right? It's heavier. We didn't pull out a fish that day. What we both caught was my dad in the middle of the boat, one of us on his hand, the other on his leg, pulling in different directions. And he was not cheering us on with his screams, but he was screaming in pain because we had him hooked. And so I think this is probably the one day that my dad wouldn't agree with the saying that a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work. Because at least when he goes to work, he doesn't get double fish hooked by his sons. And while this is a pretty entertaining story about our first fishing experience, over the years, I realized that fishing is actually a bit more complicated than it initially seems. Because the saying, a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work, suggests that it isn't necessarily the goal to catch fish, at least not all the time, that there's something more to the experience of fishing that makes it enjoyable. Some may argue that it's peace and quiet, being out on the water, on the shore, away from home, unplugged, that that's what's great about fishing. But some may argue that no, the, the joy of fishing is catching the biggest fish or the most fish. So, Especially if your intention is to eat the fish later, if you don't catch any fish, you're going to walk away hungry and probably pretty disappointed. So what I learned is that depending on what we expect to get out of fishing or what our intention is going into it, greatly determines how we view the results of that experience. And when we first learn to fish, our intention might look different than after we've done it, you know, 10, 20, 100 times that depending on what our intention is, we act or we approach the experience of fishing differently. I know personally that I often go about doing things without any sense of direction or intention, but instead just try to get them done as fast as possible. And when I have the opportunity to reflect and look back, I realize that I could have and probably should have done things a little bit differently. Maybe you've experienced that too. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone and you, it just did not go the way you want, and you wish it would have gone up differently. Maybe you planned to be there for someone. I want to be there for you. 
and then you forget. Maybe you've rushed through a meeting and you realized afterwards that you didn't get anything out of it and you weren't really paying attention. Maybe you went through the motions of completing the task and when you got to the end, you realized this is not my best work. This is not what I intended. Intentions matter. And as most fishermen probably know, that if your intention is to catch fish every single time, you're probably going to walk away from that experience disappointed more often than not. By having the wrong intentions, it leads to an unfulfilling life. By having no intentionality, we can become truly lost. The potential for our life is hindered. We don't live our lives to the fullest potential without intention behind our thoughts and our actions. In our scripture today, Paul argues for intentionality. In his letter to the Corinthians, he's addressing the church in Corinth, which is a church that has dealt with a lot of conflict because Corinth is in one of the most big, is one of the biggest and most prominent cities of the ancient world. And this church, however, in its prominence was divided by the various allegiances that it had to leaders within the church. So some followed the apostle Paul in the church, while others argued for the man named Apollos and others for the man named Cyphus, or we know him as Peter. And this is important to us to know because we see that this church is being pulled in a multitude of directions and that the gifts being shared by that community were not necessarily being used for the community. Members in Corinth weren't sharing their gifts for the benefit and glorification of God or for the betterment of the world, but rather for selfish ambition and personal gain. They had gotten so lost in pursuing worldly things that they lost what they were doing there in the first place as a church. They forgot the reason they gathered. Their pure intentions to do extraordinary things in, the, in Jesus' name were lost to their collective individuality that plagued their desires and their wishes. Their wishes. So leading up to chapter 13, where our scripture comes from today, Paul is lifting up strengths, talents, and abilities of those in the church. And these are things that each of us possess that are gifts from God. They make us each special and unique. And he points out how each of us have a different makeup of those gifts. He rhetorically asks them by pointing out these things. He says, or he asks, all aren't apostles, are they? All aren't prophets, are they? All aren't teachers, are they? All don't perform miracles, do they? All don't speak in different tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try and get the greater gifts, and I'm going to show you an even better way. Now, we could all add to Paul's list, all aren't electricians, are we? We're not all accountants or lawyers or politicians or musicians or baristas, are we? We're not all pastors, are we? The point is that we all have different gifts and we're all called to different things. And it's, up for us, and it's up to us to choose what we do those gifts. And the beautiful thing is that when we use our gifts, when we do that thing that we are really good at, really passionate about, we can do wonderful things. Our potential is realized, sometimes even exceeded. Doctors save the life of a patient who has a rare disease. Builders and architects create wonderful spaces, maybe even for worship 
like our church, which is over 100 years old and still beautiful. Teachers teach about geography or science or math, and they inspire the heart of children to learn and grow and imagine a world that is better than the one they are in. Here at First Church, we know the gift of a dream imagined as a sanctuary came to life this week with Vacation Bible School. It was filled with the theme of a desert. It was quite the monumental occasion. And those who could make, who could create, helped make decorations. But those who teach, they shared Bible stories and they made crafts. Those who have the much appreciated gift on my part of cooking shared with us wonderful snacks of which I ate too many. This church came alive with all the shared gifts that we all put together for Vacation Bible School. And it was awesome. We walked away as volunteers and our children walked away knowing that God loved them. And it was a pretty awesome thing. But that doesn't even reach the height of what we could as a church be and what we could glorify God with when we combine our gifts. So how we use our gifts and the attention behind them is so important. And this is exactly what Paul wants the community in Corinth to understand because they had lost sight of what their intentions really originally were. Glorify God is not what they were doing. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. He's talking about the manner in which some are able to speak, the gift of speaking eloquently, could bring God's message for us, Jesus, the word made flesh, to life. And when used for God, our speech can be something truly wonderful. For those in Corinth, they valued this gift of eloquent speaking. But those who had it were only using it for personal gain. Those who had it didn't have love on their mind. The right intention was not there. The gift of their eloquent voice was lost. God was not glorified. And the same thing is said with prophesying or with a sound faith, that if I have such a complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Same with our ability to give. He's, Paul says, if I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Without love, we are nothing. Our intention, therefore, has to be love. But what does Paul mean by love? Is it the love that I might have for my girlfriend that he's talking about? Probably not. What about the love that we have for our parents and our family members? This is not the love he's talking about here. What about the love we have for our friends? No, that's not quite what Paul's talking about either. The love that Paul's actually talking about has to do with humbling ourselves and serving others. In some translations, the word love is translated to charity, which means to make ourselves less, to show humility in what we are doing, holding the understanding that we are to take on a servant attitude. And this is at the core of what Christ's love for us is in the example that he left here on earth. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human. 
And he had the ability to create as God, to perform miracles. He easily could have avoided the pain and the death that followed him to the cross. He had the power to do that, but he didn't. He humbled himself and made himself a servant, knowing that this was the ultimate act of love for humanity. He made himself less so that a God could be more. And this is Christian charity. This is the love that Paul is urging the church in Corinth to. This is the love that God is urging us to in our lives. We need to recenter on this love. Christian charity is the love that Paul is begging us to act with in everything that we do. That love is the intention that when at the core of our actions glorifies God in all that we do. So love needs to be the intention on our heart behind everything. Now it's been a long time since I first came across 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 when I was a junior in high school. But in every phrase of my life, it has served me as a reminder, one that I've listened to. I went to Dakota Wesleyan University in Mitchell, South Dakota for my undergraduate degree. And there I had the opportunity to run cross country and track. But for those of you who know about running or doing an activity on one level, high school or something else, and doing it at another level, like for me, it was in college, there tend to be vastly different things, vastly different experiences. And so what I found very quickly is that the energy that I had to put in was so much more at the collegiate level. Every day I would walk away from practice just completely exhausted. And I couldn't function the way I was used to functioning. Practice became something that I despised. And after a while, I wondered what I was even doing there, why I was even on the team. I lost sight of what my intention was. And my teammates could tell I was disconnected. I wasn't present with them. I wasn't plugged in. And one day I had a conversation with my campus pastor and he asked me, why do you run? And I couldn't answer. I knew I liked running. I knew I liked my teammates. I knew that I enjoyed competition and that the school I was at was an awesome place to be. But all those things didn't add up. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I came across 1 Corinthians again. I was reminded of Paul's message to the church to do everything with love as the intention of our heart. And this changed my experience with cross country and track. I realized everything that I had, this gift, this awesome gift that I had to be able to run. And the question was, what would I do with it? How was I going to glorify God? And I would love to tell you that from that day on, I was a star athlete. I won all the races, broke all the records, and then my neck got really tired of holding up all the medals that I had won. But the reality is that workouts were still really hard. I still used up way more energy than I had, and I was often so tired. But I had more patience with my teammates. I had a better look outlook on the daily grind of practice and an overall better experience. I tuned in more to the community of the team and looked for ways that I could be there for them. 
My intention went from being the best athlete to being the best teammate for my teammates. I looked for ways that I could serve them in that setting because of this gift of running that I had. Here at First Church, we are a community made up of a lot of gifts. We are each uniquely made and have something special to offer. We have the potential to serve so many here in Watertown and the surrounding communities. We have the opportunity to show God's love to others by the way that we choose to act every day, but also, even more importantly, by the reason we choose to act every day. And if we're to take Paul's words to heart, to act with love as the intention behind everything that we do, our gifts won't be wasted. God will be glorified. And it's Christ's love and thoughtfulness that convert the gifts we share into a grace that makes them a blessing, both for us and for those who receive our gifts. So friends, let's go fishing. But before we act, we must answer the question, what is our intention? Because intention matters. Amen. Please pray with me. Loving God, we come to you searching for what to do. We strive to seek you every day, but we often get lost. There's a lot going on in our lives. So help us to be reminded today and the days to come. Help us to act in everything that we do with love as our intention. A love that makes us, that reminds us to be a servant, to humble ourselves for your glory, that you may be glorified in everything that we do, and that your love may be shown to everyone we come in contact with. Be there for us today, God. Show us Jesus Christ, who we follow as the example of charity, of love that you have for us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.